So last week, Matt talked about the pursuit of God as outlined in Psalm 139. And if you remember, Psalm 139 has the following verses. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. And we can take comfort in knowing that God is always with us. Now this morning, the gospel lesson is about Jesus calling disciples and their response to that call, about us following Jesus rather than God pursuing us. So who do you follow? Now, for those of us in the congregation who might be hooked into social media, you might be thinking right now of your Twitter feeds. How many people you follow? How many people follow you? There is actually someone who imagined what the Twitter feed might look like if Twitter was available during Jesus' lifetime. A company called Igniter Media, that's I-G-N-I-T-E-R, Igniter Media, so you can look it up later. Uh, they created a video that imagines what the Twitter feeds would say about Jesus. It's simply called Follow, and it's an interesting look at the familiar story. I invite you to look it up at some point and watch it. It's approximately five minutes, although when I did search, YouTube has two different versions on there, a five minute and a seven minute, and both of them are credited to Igniter Media. But it starts with Jesus' birth and a few followers. It provides some tweets from people like Nicodemus and the disciples. It then shows the number of followers increasing up to Good Friday, decreasing significantly, and then increasing again after the resurrection. You may find it an interesting exercise to think about what you would tweet from the gospel story. Now, if you're not hooked into social media, when I asked who do you follow, you may have thought about a TV series or a sports team. So for example, I know this will shock you all, but I follow the Gold Eyes. I happen to know that Ace Walker will have his jersey retired on June 23rd this year, and I know that the Gold Eyes are at home on the August long weekend before heading out on a two-week road trip to Ontario and Quebec. I know a few people in the congregation follow the Jets and likely know that they have 60 points in the 48 games before the All-Star break, or that Mathieu Perrault scored four goals in one game and almost scored the fifth that was needed for that lady in Brandon to win the million dollars. So who do you follow? Well, this morning's gospel tells the story about how the disciples began to follow Jesus. But before looking specifically at the text, I want to examine the gospel of Mark as a whole in order to get some context. I'm not sure if you realize this, but Mark's gospel does not have the Christmas story. He begins with the baptism of Jesus, which commentators often describe as the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So Mark begins his gospel with the words, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now commentators and historians generally consider the length of Jesus' ministry to be about two or three years, and the first 10 chapters of Mark are devoted to this two or three year period. But the last six chapters are devoted to Holy Week, the week between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. Halfway through chapter 16, we read the accounts of Jesus appearing to his disciples after the resurrection. Now, why is all that important? Well, in our reading this morning and throughout Mark, you might have noticed the word immediately. So last night, 
I read through the King James, the New King James Version, and I counted 35 times in the Gospel of Mark that he uses the word immediately. Um, in the New King James Version, four occurrences of the word immediately are in the last six chapters, and there are eight occurrences alone in chapter one. So I think we can safely say that immediately is one of Mark's favorite words, or that the concept of immediately is a favorite storytelling feature of Mark. When reading the story and trying to apply it to our lives, I think it's good to consider this context and the style of writing that we find in the Gospel of Mark. And I think that Mark's storytelling pattern is similar to one we all use. When describing things that happened in the past, we see direct and immediate causation. While in reality, there may have been a time difference between the two events. Maybe it was just an hour, maybe a couple of days, maybe two weeks, maybe an even longer period of time between the first and the next event. When you take 10 chapters to tell a three-year story versus six chapters to tell a one-week story, that implies to me that perhaps we need to be a little patient with the immediately word. Another example of uh, places that would use that are movies. So a few weeks ago, just before Christmas, some of us from Prairie went to see The Theory of Everything. It's the story of Stephen Hawking, and it's a biographical account. And there were several times through the movie when it seemed like one event immediately preceded another. And I'm sure it wasn't always that way. The two-hour movie covers approximately 40 years of Stephen's life. And although we don't hear the word immediately throughout the movie like we read it in Mark's Gospel, you get the idea that events just unfold and there's no time in between for pause, for reflection, or even for agonizing over stressful issues. Yet I'm sure there were all of those things in his life. I'm sure each of you could come up with a storytelling example uh, of this technique. So now we have some context and we can return to the gospel story. Prior to our reading that begins at Mark 14, Mark recounts the words and actions of John the Baptist in verses 1 through 8, the story of the baptism of Jesus in verses 9 through 11, and the story of the 40-day temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, verses 12 through 13. Then in verses 14 and 15, we read, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. So John the Baptist has been arrested. Jesus is proclaiming the good news. And note that John the Baptist and Jesus both use similar language. Over the last few weeks, we've had a number of readings that have included the word repent, and Matt has helped us to see that the word actually means to turn around. Even though we often have the connotation of sorrow or regret when we hear the word repent, it really just means to turn around and head in a new direction. It's interesting that people that Jesus is using similar words to John the Baptist. For the people in the area who have heard John previously, perhaps witnessed the baptism and now are hearing Jesus saying similar things to what John said, this would seem to be a consistent message, a recurring theme. Have you ever had a time in your life when everyone around you seems to be talking about the same thing? This is the situation the people of Galilee find themselves in, and this may also be pertinent to our understanding of the text today. So what happens next? 
Well, verses 16 to 18. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. This is a passage that has always troubled me. I want to have faith. I want to believe. But if I was Simon or Andrew, how would I respond to this call? Hey, you, come with me. Okay, sure, I'll do that. See, I don't see myself saying that. Not right away, anyway. And this is where that word immediately needs the context of the storytelling technique of Mark. So perhaps Simon and Peter took a few minutes, or Simon and Andrew took a few minutes to confer to discuss the pros and cons before answering. Now we don't know that. It says immediately. I don't want to read something in the text that isn't there, but I'll admit that the passage still bothers me because I'm not sure I would have immediately followed. Now one commentator has suggested that Simon and Andrew were disciples of John the Baptist, and after he was arrested, they were approached by Jesus and asked to come with him. The Gospel of John also implies that fact. Now that I find comforting. Because if Simon and Andrew had spent a lot of time with John the Baptist, listened to him foretell the coming of Jesus and witness the baptism, then I can see why Simon and Andrew would drop everything and follow Jesus. But what about James and John? Well, verses 19 and 20. As he went a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in the boat, mending their nets. Immediately, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So again, immediately, James and John were going about their daily task, mending their nets, which implies they had already put in a day fishing and were now preparing for the next day of fishing by mending their nets. But Jesus calls, and they left their father in the boat with the hired man, and followed him. That's quite a challenge to us. Will you follow if you are called? The hymn that we're going to sing shortly starts with the following two lines. Will you come and follow me if I but call your name? Will you go where you don't know and never be the same? Now, I've sung this hymn many times. It's one of my favorites. I know I have about 150, 300 favorite hymns, but it's one of my favorites. Um, but when I really consider the words, I have to pause and I have to seriously think about that. Would I go somewhere that I don't know in order to follow Jesus? Simon, Andrew, James, and John did. One thing that's always puzzled me is how do they know that this is the right thing to do? When we look out throughout history, we see many examples of people following a charismatic leader, only to find out that that person is not what they portray themselves to be. In recent history, we can probably all think of examples of cults where this happens. A charismatic leader convinces people to drop everything and follow him, but something's wrong and problems start happening. So how do we know who we should follow? How did Simon, Andrew, James, and John know that Jesus is someone they should follow? Well, I think the answer to both these questions is really the same. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit. We need to think critically about events as they unfold. 
Now notice in the gospel story that Simon, Andrew, James, and John don't burn bridges in order to follow Jesus, right? They don't say rude things to their family. I mean, they leave their father in the boat and take off. But other than that, they leave their lives, they leave their families, but they know they can return at any time if they feel that this is not the place that they should be. So we come back to how do we know? How do we come to rely on the Holy Spirit? How do we know if what we think we hear is advice or prompting from the Holy Spirit? Now, scholars generally agree that knowing the Holy Spirit requires several aspects, tradition, scripture, community, and experience. So tradition implies that we can check our understanding by understanding the past, by thinking about what we do and why we do it. Think about traditions you have, your family traditions, traditions in your workplace, traditions in society. Where do they come from? Why do we have them now? Are the things you are asked to do now in conflict with those traditions? Does the conflict prompt us to change traditions or to follow them more closely? Either may be the appropriate response to critical reflection or discernment. So scripture, reading and study. This is one way we can follow. So earlier I asked, who do you follow? I could also have asked, how do you follow? How did I know that Ace Walker's number is being retired on June 23rd? Well, I probably saw a post on the Winnipeg Gold Ice Facebook page, and I may even have seen the Twitter feed, although I hardly ever look at that. I likely had text conversations and messages with fellow fans who are good friends of mine. Why do I know that the Gold Eyes are playing in Winnipeg on the August long weekend? A random thing to keep in my head. Well, I happen to be looking for possible dates for my family to attend a game in a sky suite where we're going to have a memorial for my mom who happened to really love the Gold Eyes. I have also applied for a job in another province, and that would start in August, and I had to look to see how many Gold Eyes games I would miss and when I would want to travel if I end up getting the new job. But even if I don't get the new job, I often volunteer at Folkorama in August, so I need to know when the Gold Eyes play so I can let the organizers know when I can volunteer. So I looked up the schedule. I looked at it several times. I thought about that schedule, and I connected it to events in my life that are quite important. So what does this have to do with Mark 1, 14 to 20? Well, I think that one of the ways that we prepare to hear the Holy Spirit and one of the ways that we decide whether what we think we should do is the right thing to do is to pay attention to the things that are important to us, to read and try to find connections to our lives to help us remember important details and concepts. Do we follow Jesus as closely as we follow other things in our lives? Although I'd like to tell you that I think I follow Jesus as closely as I follow the gold eyes, I'm not sure I do. For example, when preparing for the service, I reread the Gospel of Mark, to count those 35 times, and I found something that I didn't know or that I didn't remember hearing ever before. So in Mark chapter 16, verses 12 through 14, we read the following. After this, Jesus appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe him. Later, he, Jesus appeared to the eleven themselves as they were sitting at the table, and he upbraided them for their lack of faith and stubbornness, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had arisen. 
Now, I've heard of doubting Thomas. My recollection of the story is that Thomas is the only one who didn't believe, but apparently not. Mark's account implies that all the disciples were rebuked for doubting. It's an interesting thought that I'm going to ponder some more. So I guess what I'm trying to say here is that it's important for us to be lifelong learners, as there's always something new to learn or some new way to think about things. If following Jesus is as important to us as following our favorite sports team, then shouldn't we be trying to learn more about him all the time? Community was one of the other ways. One of the ways we can grow in our faith is through community, through talking with trusted friends, through shared experiences. These are some of the ways we can decide if what we are hearing is truly the Holy Spirit prompting us. If we can immediately answer that call of, will you come and follow me? Finally, we learn to listen to the Holy Spirit through experience. So again, the song, uh, will you come and follow me? When we sing it after the message, I want you to listen for some of the suggestions the hymn writer has for experiences you might explore as you follow Jesus. One example that came to mind as I was preparing was the visits with Place of Hope Presbyterian Church that we've had in the last couple of months. So over the last few six months or so, people from Prairie have joined the congregation of Place of Hope Presbyterian Church in worship and then provided a meal for the congregation. Place of Hope is a newly constituted congregation in the Presbytery of Winnipeg, but they're a long-standing worshiping community of mostly First Nations people. Every Sunday at 3.30 p.m., they worship together and then they join together to enjoy a meal. For some of the congregation, this meal is an important part of their lives or a part of their week. Located at the corner of Logan and Ellen, many of the congregation are poor and they struggle to live healthy lifestyles. The meal together after worship provides community, nutritious meals, and a chance to see God's love lived out. By joining in worship with Place of Hope and by helping out with a meal, we are showing God's love through our actions. After that first visit in September, Reverend Margaret Mullen sent a thank you email to explain how important our help was. By preparing the meal, setting up for the meal, serving the meal, and cleaning up afterwards, we allowed Reverend Margaret the time to interact with her congregation. There's one particular member of her congregation, Angel, who's a 14-year-old girl with a lot of health issues. She has failing kidneys. She needs dialysis six days a week. Her failing kidneys have caused her heart trouble, and she's had at least one heart attack. That's a lot for everyone, never mind a 14-year-old girl. Angel's waiting for a kidney transplant and can certainly use our prayers. But on that September Sunday, Margaret was able to hold Angel, give her comfort, and talk to her about how she was doing. This is a luxury Margaret doesn't, does not always have on a Sunday. And here I thought we were merely providing a meal after joining in worship. So Mark's gospel lesson today challenges all of us with the question, will you come and follow me? How will you answer that challenge this week? Amen.